A brief announcement before we begin. Um, in our announcement bulletin, it said that Girls of Grace is open to girls nine and older. It should be eight and older. So if you have an eight-year-old young lady, she is welcome also. Beloved, the Lord calls us this morning to, or this evening to worship with these words from Psalm 147. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. For He strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. Our God is great. And He has been abundantly merciful to us. Let us therefore ask for His blessing on this worship. That we might give Him all the glory He deserves. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You that You have set apart this day as a day of rest. We thank You that we can gather together to hear Your Word and proclaim Your praises. We pray that You would bless this time, that all that we do here might be done unto Your glory, and that when we go forth, we might go forth both refreshed and eager to tell others who You are and what You have done. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Let's stand together. Beloved, our help is in the name of the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. Hear now His greeting. To you who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved through Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Amen. Let us sing praise together to him. We're going to sing Psalm 147, Selection A in our Trinity. 147A stands as 1 and 2, 5 and 8.
We confess the Lord this evening using the words of the Nicene Creed. You can find that in the back of your Blue Psalter hymnal, page 4. Congregation of our Lord, in whom do you believe? I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sitteth on the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord give, who proceedeth from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spake by the prophets, And I believe one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. And I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life everlasting. Amen. Our psalm selection this evening is a brief psalm, but telling, important. Psalm 134 is the last of the psalms known as the Psalms of Ascent. I've mentioned before, those are the psalms that typically the um, Israelites sang as they went up to Jerusalem for the feast days. And this psalm, being the last of the bunch is something of a farewell. As God's people prepare to go back to their towns, to go back to their places throughout the promised land, they look at the Levites who are ministering in the temple, taking up the service of the evening sacrifice, and they urge them, to bless the Lord, to honor God, to keep up that worship of the Lord that they bring on behalf of all God's people. And they assure the Levites, the priests, 
that they are blessed in doing so. The thing is, that's a psalm that we now sing to one another. Because while Israel was intended to be a priestly people, we, through the sacrifice of Christ, have been made and ordained priests. We have been brought into the presence of God such that His Spirit is always with us. There's nowhere we can go apart from Him. We can worship Him, not just in one place in Jerusalem, but wherever God's people are, there Jerusalem is. And so, all of God's people now, not just a select few on their behalf, but all of God's people do what this psalm commends, honoring God, bringing Him glory, and as such, all of us receive the perpetual blessing and honor of God. Isn't that wonderful? This is a psalm that, that looked forward to the time that, in which we now live. The time when all of God's people could worship God at all times and receive His blessing. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Amen. Let us take it up as our song from Psalter Hymnal 280. Oh, bless our God with one accord. 280. As we come to the Lord in prayer, looking especially at our missions and our calling to outreach, um, you'll see or you will have seen in your announcement bulletin a prayer concern for Reverend James Folkerts. Um, James was one of my classmates in seminary. He has spent the last number of years in Uganda with his family um, where they have ministered to the church there. Uh, it's been a hard time. Um, They were carjacked at one point. Um, He was beaten with a hammer. Um, They have known quite a lot of of hardship. Their children have had to experience some difficult things, and yet God has given him a spirit of joy in the midst of it all. Because 
the word of God is going out and is being received eagerly and earnestly and it's transforming lives. Um, that's been a wonderful thing to see. Uh, now they have returned to Canada. <clears throat> they are um, in the midst of a sabbatical this fall and winter, kind of um, recovering and processing um, and seeing what the Lord has for them next. So please um, keep James and, and his family in your prayers, but also the work in Uganda. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, what a blessing it is to know that because of what your Son has done, we, common though we seem in our own eyes, have been ordained to be priests in your holy temple, called to bring you glory and honor by word and by deed, both as we gather together as the church and as we go forth into the world. Father, we do not deserve that privilege, but we rejoice to receive it. And we pray that you would make us worthy that calling. That through the work of your spirit, you would equip us and strengthen us. So that the words that we speak would direct others unto you. And the lives that we live. As we learn to show patience. And mercy. And love and forgiveness as we learn to reflect to others the character that you have shown to us. Make our very lives startling to them that they might earnestly ask the reason for the hope that is within us. Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see the multitude of ways in which you're working in our lives to prepare us and equip us and guide us from step to step to step. And Lord, make us eager. Make us eager to tell others of you. Lord, you know our frailty. You know our fear. Our worry that we'll be rejected if we're open about our faith, our worry that they'll ask questions that we won't be able to answer, our fear that it will change relationships, that it will make, make it difficult to interact with the people around us if we're that open about what we believe. But Lord, fill us with such a love for you. And such a conviction about our neighbor's need that we simply cannot be silent. So that through us, modest and weak though we are, they might encounter the truth about you. And be led to ask questions and be led to come here and to hear the preaching of the word and to, to enjoy the fellowship of the saints and to get their questions answered and to begin with us trusting in Christ, worshiping our Father, relying on the power of your Spirit. And Lord, make that openness to share about you, that openness to confess you, make that to become common among your people throughout this land. For far too long we have been silent while the enemy has not. 
the devil and those who serve him have been absolutely bold in proclaiming the lies that they believe and that they advance. Telling the world all sorts of nonsense about the randomness of life and the disorder of our coming into being. Pretending as though there is no God and there is no accountability except to powerful men. Father, make us to be even more bold about proclaiming the truth, knowing that without that truth there is no life and there is no hope. Lord, we pray that you would make us to be faithful in teaching our children, especially as our catechism and our Sunday school classes begin soon. And as many of our families are schooling their children at home and others are supporting their day schools and the kids going there, Lord, enable us to equip our children well to give a reason for the hope within them and make us, equip us with the power to set an example before them of being bold and open about our faith. And Father, we pray that you would equip the church to bring the word formally. Thank you for the work to which you called Brother Folkerts in Uganda, for the steadfastness and the joy that you gave to him and to Esther and their family as they ministered over there. We pray that you would grant that the labors that they engaged in in Uganda would bear much fruit. And that those whom you would raise up to take their place would feel that call and would speed their way to the field. And meanwhile, we pray that you would strengthen and encourage Brother Folkerts and that you would show him clearly where you would next have him and his family serve. And Lord, we pray that you would raise up other men to be ministers, to be pastors, to be missionaries in the church. Equip them well for those labors that through those labors, your church might be equipped to make disciples of the nations. We pray, too, that you would raise up elders and deacons who are eager to lead the church in knowing you and living before you in a way that reflects their faith and, and serving the world around them in a manner that lays the foundation for sharing the gospel. Lord, we pray that you would make men eager to serve you. That you would use our service, weak though we are, to build up and strengthen the church. To that end, bless our consistory and our council as they meet tomorrow. Give them wisdom and unity and grant that their decisions might truly bless the church. And Lord, we pray that you would bless the churches around us as well. Bless our sister congregations in the URC that they would be faithful in proclaiming your word, that they would be bold in applying that word to all of life, that the elders would be earnest about understanding and proclaiming the truth of your word as it, as it applies to in the various doctrines that you have taught us. 
and make them to be earnest about protecting the church from falsehood and lies. Lord, we pray that you would bless the other churches in our region and in our nation. We know, Lord, that there are many who fear sticking their heads up, who fear getting noticed. They steadfastly avoid anything that might ruffle feathers or cause offense. But we know that your word inherently causes offense because it challenges us to rid our lives of the sin that has controlled them. And it demands that we repent of those sins, that we turn over our lives unto you in the most intimate ways and in the most public ways. So Lord, cause your church, recognizing this, to love you, to put you first, and boldly to proclaim the truth of your word. And where they will not, Lord, we pray that you would replace them with men who are filled with conviction concerning your truth and with gratitude concerning your salvation. We pray, Lord, that you would cause the church to be a powerful force for changing the hearts of the people of this land as they quietly interact with their neighbors and their friends and their co-workers and their family members, cause your people to draw this nation close to you, one by one, in living rooms, in backyards, in workplaces, in schools, like yeast in a batch of dough, silently spreading until the hole is filled. Not that we would have things easy, but that you would receive the greater glory. And Lord, we pray that you would work in this land. Increasingly, we see animosity to you and to your word in America, in Canada, in Mexico. We pray, Father, that you would send forth your spirit to work even in the hearts of those who lead these lands, convicting them of the sin of silencing your people, teaching them that they truly are your servants and will be held accountable by you, and leading them, Lord, to bow the knee before you. Father, we know that by men this is impossible. But you are infinitely greater than men. You are able to do what is merely a pipe dream to men. And we pray, therefore, that you would lead this land in repentance. And whatever your perfect will is, we pray that you would magnify the glory that comes to you through the people who turn to you, the people who worship you, the people who live before you as your beloved sons and daughters. Bless us in the days ahead, in the remainder of this week. Give us the courage to speak your name boldly. 
Give us a passionate love for you that leads us to dig deeply into your word. Turn the hearts of the parents to their children and those of the children to their parents. Cause us to take up every task that you set before us with joy and with eagerness, earnestly desiring to use it to bring glory to you. Father, we lay before you all of our needs. You know those who are struggling. You know those who are wrestling whether with their sins or, whether, or with uh, disease or with long-term besetting ailments. Father, we pray that you would show yourself strong in the midst of our weakness. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, beloved, as we prepare to look together to God's Word, Let's stand and sing again. We're going to sing from Selection 145 in our Psalter hymnal. It's a rendering of Psalm 77. We'll sing all the stanzas, number 145. Well, this evening, 
Our text is Lord's Day 46 and all of the scripture that it summarizes, but I'd like to read you a bit of that scripture first from uh, the Gospel of Matthew. I'm going to read first from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13, then we'll skip ahead a few chapters to chapter 10. Now chapter 6, that's right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And it's a parallel passage to what we read last time when we looked at uh, Lord's Day 45. It's Jesus' instruction to his disciples concerning prayer. He says, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And then moving ahead to chapter 10, Jesus explains something of why we'll need to pray. Because though we are received warmly by God, we are not received warmly by the world. And so starting in verse 21, he says, Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore... You are of more value than many sparrows. So, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Amen. Now, Lord's Day 46 asks us two questions. As we begin to get into the prayer that Jesus taught us, It asks us, first of all, why has Christ commanded us to address God as our Father? 
And the answer is to awaken in us at the very beginning of our prayer what should be basic to our prayer. A childlike reverence and trust that through Christ God has become our Father and will much less refuse to give us what we ask in faith than will our parents refuse us the things of this life. Why the words, who is in heaven? These words teach us not to think of God's heavenly majesty in an earthly way and to expect from his almighty power everything needed for body and soul. Amen. Beloved of God the Father, through our Lord Jesus Christ, when Jesus taught his people to pray, he taught us to pray in a manner that's truly unique. He taught us to pray not in public where others will see and be impressed, but in secret where only God will see and only God will be able to acknowledge. Nor did he say that we must pray through intermediaries as though we need holy men or saints to intercede for us, but instead he taught us to pray to God ourselves, individually, even the lowliest among us being confident that God will hear and answer our prayers. Yet Jesus also taught us that we must not take God lightly, but rather to regard him as the one who is infinitely greater than any mere man. Folks, that's radical. We've grown up with it, so we don't maybe see that, but it is truly a radical approach to God. No other religion approaches their God in this manner. Some see their God as being distant and unapproachable, so they draw near in terror, daring only to use well-tested prayers, or they seek their God by means of intermediates, so they don't need to draw near. Others regard their gods as aloof, needing to be impressed. And so they, they approach God by means of dazzling pomp and circumstance. They do whatever they can to get their God's attention. And still others, frankly, don't really have much confidence in their God. They pray, but their prayers are unenthusiastic. They worship, but without fervency. They ask, but expect no real change because of their prayers. How very different is the true God. He has provided for us a way that we can approach Him worthily by means of what His Son did for us. He gives us the assurance that He will receive us with the utmost love so that we can come confidently. And yet He reminds us that He is the Creator of heaven and earth. There is not a mountain, there is not a molecule that he did not form and put in its place and ordain the course of. And therefore there is not a need that we have that he is not entirely capable of meeting in a manner that is far more perfect than we can even imagine. How amazing that is. And in order to foster in us the proper attitude for approaching this God... At the very start of our prayer, Jesus teaches us to address him in a manner that is truly loaded, that is truly essential to understand. Our Father, who art in heaven. That's 
That's the introduction. That's the opening of a prayer spoken by the children to their father, the king. And so that's what we're going to consider this evening. How Christ teaches us to pray as children of the great king of kings. As we do, as we consider that, we're going to see, first of all, how this calls us to rest in the graciousness of our Father's love. But then, but then we need to see also that we need to respect the greatness of our Father's majesty. So we begin looking at the graciousness of our Father's love. But recognize, before we get into that, recognize what our catechism says in this first question, or the first answer. Why has Christ called us to address God in this way? To awaken in us at the very beginning of our prayer what should be basic to our prayer. What we're talking about this evening is basic. That is, it lies at the heart of how we approach God. Lest we approach Him either too lightly and scorn Him, or fear Him too much to even come near Christ is calling us to a balanced attitude that lies at the very heart. It's not even about what we ask, but about how we ask it. It's not about what we say, but about how we say it. And that means that Christ is calling us to understand the nature of our God. That we might understand both His greatness and His compassion. That we might wrestle on the one hand with His justice and His holiness, but on the other hand with His graciousness and His long-suffering love. God the Son says we should understand our Creator, our King, as our Father. Notice in Matthew 6 how He emphasizes that. He says, when you pray, do not be like the Gentiles for your father. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our father who is in heaven. He emphasizes that right at the start. This is our father. This is the one who we can approach with confidence that He hears us and loves us. 1 John 3, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. We pray to God as our Heavenly Father. That's not just what we call Him. Father describes how we are to think of Him. We're to come with the same attitude that we hold toward our earthly fathers. To approach Him with the love, with the confidence, with the respect, with the submission that our earthly fathers are due. And we come as His children knowing that as His children we will be received by Him. Kids, I want you to think about that. Now our earthly fathers aren't perfect. Sometimes they get mad when they shouldn't. Sometimes they don't know everything that we think they should. But we love them. And we respect them, don't we? In fact, they hold a unique place in our lives. When you speak to your father, you speak to him differently than you speak to your teachers, don't you? When you speak of your father, 
You speak of him with a different kind of attitude than you speak of your friends. Why is that? Your father holds a unique place in your mind, in your heart, in your life. Why is that? Isn't it because you love your father more than you love your friend or your teacher? Isn't it because you trust your father even more than you trust your friends? And respect. Do you not respect your dad far more than you respect a stranger? And are you not more loyal to him? Maybe not even for reasons you understand. But you're loyal to him. Oh, you might get mad at him. You might get frustrated with him. But if somebody starts ripping on your dad, you're going to defend him, right? Of course you are. Because he is your father. It's hardwired into you to have a love, a loyalty, a respect, an honor toward your father. Well, Jesus wants us to to regard God our father in the same way. In fact, even more so. Because while our earthly fathers sometimes fail, while they sometimes fall short, he never does. Just as with our earthly fathers... We are to love God, expecting Him to love us. We are to trust God, that He will know exactly what to do and when to do it and how best it should be accomplished. We are to be loyal to God. When someone speaks against Him, it ought to rise up from the deepest part of us to defend Him, to stand at His side. And we're to have confidence in God, confidence in His ability, but also confidence in His love. And the thing is, the more we come to know God, who He is, what He has done, what He is like, the more we're able to trust Him as our Father. We don't doubt our earthly fathers, at least when we're young. When we're teenagers, we start to. But when we're young, we don't doubt our fathers. A small boy looks at his father and thinks he can do absolutely everything. There is no father who's smarter, no father who's stronger, no father who has a cooler job than him. Right? A young child, in most cases, especially a little boy, is his father's biggest fan. He doesn't doubt that his dad can provide for him. He doesn't fear that dad is unable or unwilling to protect him. And that's how we're to trust, how we're to regard God only to an infinitely greater degree. We are to trust God as the Father who is perfect. Even when we're little, we know that our earthly fathers, there's some things they just don't know, some questions they just can't answer. But our heavenly Father knows everything. Jesus says He knows our needs even before we name them. In fact, beyond that, He knows our needs before we recognize them. Our Father in heaven knows us so intimately that He has counted every hair on our heads and not one of them can fall to the ground apart from His decree. Yes, and our earthly fathers, they sometimes disappoint us. They fail to provide something we think we needed. Or they punish us for something we didn't actually do. But God never fails us. He never makes a decree that is wrong. He never issues a judgment that is unjust. He never fails to provide the thing that we need. Think of our call to worship this evening, Psalm 147. He is the one who strengthens the bars of our gates, defends us, who blesses our children within us, who gives us peace within our borders and fills us with the finest of food. There is nothing that we need that our Heavenly Father is unable or unwilling to provide for us. 
Sometimes he doesn't provide what we think we need, but then if we're honest, we look back later on and we realize that he gave what we really needed rather than what we thought we needed. Our Heavenly Father's love truly is a love in which we can rest without worry, without fear, without continual striving to ensure His favor. And really, that's the most amazing part of God's fatherly care, the graciousness of His love. There is nothing we have done, nothing we can do, to earn God's love. It's ours freely as a gift. Everything that was necessary to reconcile us to Him, to ensure that we are His children, He did it all in sending His Son. Jesus is the reason for this amazing relationship we have with the Father. Ephesians 1, Paul says that God predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. In other words, He determined that He wanted to make you His child. And he determined everything Jesus would have to do to make that happen. Right? It was his choice from the very word go. To choose you. To love you. To forgive you. To reconcile you. To adopt you. To send Jesus. To make all of that possible. To send the Holy Spirit. To soften your hearts. To send the gospel. To impart faith within you. And He did it to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. That's the goal. At the end of the day, He did all of that so that He would be praised, so that He would be loved, so that He would be seen for what He is, which is gracious and glorious and good. God did it all. And that means that if we would have God as our Father, we must have Christ as our Savior. So we need to confess Him. Remember what Jesus told us In Matthew 10, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father in heaven. Now recognize, this is not a a tit for tat. This is not a thing that we use to purchase God's love. It's simply a necessary, inherent response. If we're trusting in Jesus if we know that He has done everything necessary to reconcile us to God, we really believe that we're going to so love Him that we want others to recognize how great He is. We're going to confess Him. And we'll want them to know the peace and the love and the comfort and the confidence that we have. So we're going to tell them about Jesus. But if we refuse to do that, if we're embarrassed by Him, if we're fearing them more than we fear Him, then we won't confess Him and neither will He confess us. The point there, however, is if we're confessing Christ as our Savior, if we're acknowledging that our sins were forgiven by what He has done, then God truly is our Father. And we have every reason to believe that He loves us, that He has compassion on us, that He hears us. So let us confess Christ openly. Let us tell people how wonderfully, how graciously He has treated us. And with that, let us tell them about the confidence we have, the joy that we have. To know that the Creator of heaven and earth, who has decreed the rise and the fall of nations, by whose decree men rise up to rule and others fall down, 
who directs the course of hurricanes and tornadoes and storms. This God is our Father who loves us, who cherishes us, who hears our prayers. How amazing that is. And what a great privilege. I mean, if you reckon with reckon, if you wrestle with that and understand what a significant gift we've been given, how can we not join with the psalmist in Psalm 147? Saying, Great is the Lord and, and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. How can we not call the world to join us in singing His praise? Knowing that He loves us that much. However, when we come, we come not only recognizing the greatness of His love and compassion toward us, but also the greatness of His power. We must never lose sight of the fact that this one whom we call our Father is in fact God. Always we must come before Him, not only resting in the graciousness of His fatherly love, but also secondly, respecting the greatness of God's divine majesty. Jesus knew it would be a temptation for us to neglect respecting His majesty. Ever since man's fall into sin, sinful men have sought to bring God down to their level. Man wants to make God less frightening. Man wants to erase the drastic differentness between us and God. More than anything, man longs to make God manageable. But we can't. Man can't make God sinful. Man can't make God less scary. Because it is his righteousness over against our guilt that makes him frightening. The only way he can be Anything other than terrifying to us is through Christ, who endured the terror on our behalf. But with that, we can't manage this God. See, if we, if we forget God's majesty, two things are going to happen. First of all, it will be terribly offensive to God. Those who fail to recall, those who fail to recognize God's majesty, they stop giving Him the honor He is due, they fail to speak and act respectfully toward Him, they start to treat Him lightly, as though He's some servant they can boss around. Such treatment of God is terribly offensive and therefore dangerous. Think of, think of electricity. Electricity is tremendously useful to us, isn't it? It lights our homes and our places of worship. It allows us to have heat in the winter and cold in the summer. It gives us all manner of things. There's even cars that we can use electricity to drive today. It powers our tools so that we don't have to sit there and take forever to saw through a board. Electricity is tremendously helpful and fairly common nowadays. But woe to us if we take it lightly. If you take it lightly, I've done a fair amount of my own electrical work. and You know, after doing some work, you start letting your mind wander. You start taking it lightly. And the next thing you know, you're sitting on your bottom. Because you got knocked down. And your wife is laughing and saying you should have shut off the breaker. Right? We dare not take... And that's 110. 110, you can do that. Do that with 440 and you're going to be hurting. Or not. 
Well, if electricity can harm us for taking it lightly, how about the one who created electricity? The one who sends bolts of lightning with tens of thousands of volts to the precise point that he wants to destroy. When we forget how powerful he is, we set ourselves up for destruction. We make ourselves scornful and more, most of all, we show that we don't actually love Him. We're just using Him. We don't actually respect Him. We're trying to manipulate Him and we must never do that. So if we fail to recognize God's majesty, we become offensive to Him, but also, in a related way, we stop respecting Him. Foolishly, proudly, we start to act as though we and He are on the same level. And therefore, we start expecting less of Him. After all, we know those who are like us. They might look good from a distance. They might clean up good at special occasions. But you get close and you start to see the flaws. You start to see the failures. You start to see the weaknesses. When we forget God's majesty, when we forget how much greater than us He is, we start to regard Him as a man. And so we start expecting Him to let us down. But brothers and sisters, God will never let us down. So when we approach God, we approach Him not only as our Father, but as our Father in heaven, the one who is infinite in His majesty. He is the one, Jesus says, who is infinite in wisdom. When you, kids, understand this, when you bring your prayers before God, you're not telling Him anything He doesn't know. You're never going to surprise Him with what you say. When you confess your sin, when you explain your dilemma, when you lay it all out before Him, never is there a point where God goes, Really? No. He knew it all perfectly before. He wants us to confess it for our sake. But He knew long before you even recognized it. And not only that, but He knows exactly what needs to happen to turn this situation for your good. And He knows what lays ahead in the rest of that dark valley before you come to the next mountaintop. He knows all of it. He knows it perfectly. He knows what its effects are going to be on you and on your children and on your children's children. He knows what the effects of this dilemma before you are going to be to people you don't even know. Our God is the only one who can bring all of those threads together and weave out of them this beautiful tapestry that comprises all of mankind throughout all of history. And along with His infinite wisdom is the infinite power that He possesses. You know, Satan has the power to make our lives miserable for a moment. The rulers of this world, they can threaten and torture our bodies unto death. They can take our earthly treasures. But what did Jesus say? Only God has power over our eternal souls. And His power extends to absolutely everything in all of the creation. Psalm 147 reminds us He determines the number of the stars and gives to all of them their names. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass to grow on the hills. He gives the beasts their food and the young ravens that cry. There is nothing that does not depend on His fatherly hand to care for them. Nothing. From the greatest sea creatures that would terrify us to the tiniest microscopic bugs we cannot see with the naked eye, every one of them depends on His sovereign care. And His majesty extends to 
and finds its fullness in his very character. Jeremiah 23 says, Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. As absolutely excellent as is the creation God has made, He Himself is infinitely greater, infinitely better, infinitely more praiseworthy, infinitely more glorious. There is nothing that even begins to draw near to the perfection of the majesty of our God. And therefore we must approach Him, not only with confidence as we come to our Father, but with awe as we draw near to God. Think of this. When you pray, you enter into the presence of the one who made you and all things. Young people, what would be your reaction if you were able to meet with that person you think is all that? You know, that, that singer that you have all of his songs memorized. That actress that you think is so amazing. Or perhaps it's a politician or some influencer. What if you could meet with that person, get to know not just, not just to talk about the things that they posted online or the things they've sung about, but, but to get to know the real person behind them. To spend time probing that person's heart and life, to really become somewhat intimate with them. Wouldn't that be amazing? Folks, you have the opportunity to enter into the presence of the one who created you and everything else. How astounding that is. You have the opportunity to share with the one who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords your inmost thoughts and fears and worries and concerns. You have no idea how this scary situation is going to turn out. He does. He knows it all. And he's able to turn it all for your good. If you were struggling, let's say you had a, a problem with the township, right? A tax bill that's way out of proportion to what it should be or a zoning issue, something that's going to make your life absolutely miserable. And you had the opportunity to walk into the governor's office and lay it all out to her and ask if she could help, knowing that she has the power to influence this lower government official. Wouldn't that be great? You have the ability to walk into the very presence of the King of Kings, the one who establishes every president, every legislator, every judge throughout history in their place for their purposes. You have the ability to walk into the very throne room and to get a private audience. That's amazing. And this is the one before whom every man, every woman, Whoever has lived will stand before and answer for all that they've done and all that they've failed to do and all that they've said and all that they've thought. And you can come into their presence now in advance of the judgment to confess your sin, to receive his pardon, to be assured of his love. Should we not stand in the utmost awe? <clears throat> now this world... They'll rattle their sabers. They'll do their best to frighten us into silence and submission. But 
when you think about the fact that you can take all of their threats, like Hezekiah of old, and lay them out before the Lord and say, Lord, you have heard. Lord, you have known. Lord, do what is right. And just as he did for Hezekiah and for Judah in those ancient days, so he will do for you. He will do what is right. He will bring what is just. And all you have to do is follow his lead. How can we not stand in awe with the utmost confidence in this God? So, beloved, as we come to God, let us not come with doubt or with fear, and let us certainly not come as though we're doing something commonplace. But let us come with the absolute confidence of those who enter into the presence of their heavenly Father who loved them so much that He sent His only begotten Son to die, to suffer hell itself so that we might live. And let us come with awe that we enter into the presence of the One who made us and who controls all things, knowing that He wants to hear us, that He wants to do what is good for us, and that He delights to give His children good things. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do stand in awe of You. Your greatness is unfathomable. Your power, immeasurable. And your love, beyond comprehension. Teach us, Father, to draw near to you in a manner that balances your love and your majesty, our confidence and our awe. And so draw us closer to you, that our love for you might blossom and flourish And that no matter what challenge you ordained to set before us, we might face it with the utmost confidence. Knowing that our Heavenly Father is the one who made all things and who will turn even this hardship or this trial for our very good. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved, in response, let us confess in song... That the one to whom we pray is sovereign. He is able to meet all our needs. As we do that by singing number 233 in our Trinity Psalter hymnal. 233.
Our offering this evening is for the young peoples. Let us pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you for the young people that you have set among us with all of their gifts and talents and abilities. Lord, we pray that, that we might serve them well, both in our catechism and Sunday school and also in our young people's group, helping them to understand who you are, what it means to live before you as your people. Bless our offering this evening that it might be used to bring, uh, to, to serve them and to equip our group to do, uh, to do things that will draw them closer to you. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Our offering song this evening is number 46 in our Blue Psalter hymnal, Lord to me thy ways make known. And then uh, our new doxology is 472 stanzas 3 and 4. So number 46. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. 
The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.